Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. I need to update the whole snake situation because there's been a few developments and chickens. Is that me? Yep. Okay. Shannon said to turn the microphone off because she's swallowing. Um, so, snake, there was, look, it might have been another snake or it might have been the same snake. Who knows? But it's terrifying me. Yeah, that there's more than one so snake. So, it doesn't bother me at all. So, it was round in the veggie garden under, there's a, a heater unit around there that belongs to the pool that heats the sure. spa thing. And it was, so Kieran was walking through the veggie garden saw the snake he freaks out squeals like a girl yeah <laughs> and so around this time i have to go on air from home because we were in lockdown yes and then a guy rings up the radio station and says i'll come and get your snake and i said look no thanks mate because it's expensive and i'm okay with them anyway uh, uh, bottom line i got his number i gave it to kieran i said you it's all you i'm happy yep. to leave the snake there yeah. And then when I got off air... So I... your listeners know that it, this snake has been hanging around. Oh, yeah. Yes. And the okay. Karen was stalking it and watching it. And I went out there and I saw it. And then okay. another time I... So one time I went out there and it's it's back, a sort of curve of its back was sticking out one side of the heater. And then another time I went out, its head was just coming out. And it was right. doing its little tasty tongue. it's warm there. Yeah. But then yeah. when it saw me, it went back under. Around that same time, there was also a little blue tongue lizard just around the corner here. Okay. Um, so I said to Kieran, I do not want you to call a snake catcher. Why? What is the point? You're going to catch that snake. Yeah. It could be the uh, – and this is like I said the other day when we talked about them. What's the point? Peace There's of others. mind. Peace of mind. We yeah. actually had um, an email about this. Uh, I about feel the like you catch the snake. Yeah, no, no, because I, oh, there'll be other ones, and I said it on the pod. So oh, I don't know what I've but done I didn't. But it'd be in here somewhere. No, I didn't realise though that they hang around the same area. Um, I thought well, they just come and go. No, I don't know. Look, I'm sorry to the person who. Oh, here we are from Kim. Kim sent one through, and she commented on the snake content that the mama snake and its friends are not going to come and get you. No, they're uh, scared of you. They are territorial. You do not tend to find them in groupings. Yeah. But that my point was not that the mother snake would be angry if I killed her baby and she would come and get me because of no, it. No, I don't, my think, point I don't was, think they're vindictive. <laughs> my point was that... We've been here for 20 years. Yeah. Every year there are several snakes at different places in the garden. We're going to kill one and it costs you 180 bucks. this guy was wow. quoting, to come and get it and take it away. But then, to be fair, high-risk job. Mm. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know. Yeah. Taking care inside. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, so, my, I just think learn to live with them. Know that every time you step out, there might be a snake. No. Do you have like a snake kit? Have you got like a net if you yes. get bitten yeah oh yes i was like a snake catching kit that's what my <laughs> yeah, went. i was no, like no, you need a net you, nets, you yeah. need one of those hooks <laughs> um a bag like no. a pillowcase <laughs> yeah that uh, raises a good point yes yeah. we've got a few of those that you if you get bitten okay deal with it anyway so i said to kieran all on you i don't think you should waste your money you're throwing away 180 bucks i'm okay about that yeah guy's gonna catch a snake tomorrow a new snake will turn up yeah that's my point Anyway, but he... 
no, I'm snake with Kieran guy. because I think if it's tomorrow a new snake's going to turn up, then you've got two snakes on the property. Correct. They just keep adding up. You want to catch okay. and release. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Well, let's see how yeah. this turned out. So he calls Snake Guy. <laughs> yeah. Snake Guy tells him, do you know where the snake is? We say, yes, absolutely. I said, yes, I saw its head there like 10 minutes ago. So Snake yeah. Guy says, I can be there in 30 minutes. Watch where it is. Yeah. And so we know exactly where it is. Yep. Okay, so Kieran stands there in the hot sun, literally staring and at it, the heater for 30 minutes. And in our five-day lockdown, we had like 30-degree days every yep. day. Mm. Yeah, he's got his big straw hat on. He looks like some demented farmer. Good for him. Hands on so, hips, <laughs> watching the heater. Snake guy comes yep. with a friend and... <laughs> Wait, snake guy came with a friend or Kieran was waiting with snake a friend? Snake guy came with another guy with him to, okay. to catch the snake. Okay. Two man job. I don't know why. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, so they poke, poke, poke under the heater trying to get the snake. I said, what are you doing? And Because the, the thing had a hook on the end of it. And he mm. said, oh, I'm trying to make it angry so it'll just come oh. flying out. Great. I'm, all, I'm worrying about the snake at this point, thinking you're going to hurt it yes, with okay. that sharp thing. Anyway, look, cut to the chase. He couldn't get it out. He couldn't get it out. He couldn't find it. He was he was asking for – he wanted steam. He wanted buckets of boiling water to tip one side to make it come out the other. Oh. So we did that. So while this is all Robert. happening, then he wanted me to get a did gas you... fitter to come and disconnect the gas line and the pipes going to this Hold heater. Hold on a that's... second. At any point, are you seeing the snake? No. So maybe it, it wasn't was... even there. No, it was there. I'd seen it a few minutes earlier. It's okay. definitely there. Definitely there. So – they they ended up leaving without having caught the snake because he couldn't get the snake out. He couldn't find it. Yes. Did you have to pay him? Here's my other thing. All right. So I'm not – I am not a tight ass. I will look after people when they do work. Yeah. Always. Pay them straight away. Uh, so he left. He dug out all the dirt and the yep. stones and stuff under the heater. So that's a mess. And – Kieran's standing there with money in his hand, and I'm like trying to do the eyeballs of don't, don't, don't what pay are you him. doing? What are you doing? They didn't even catch it. And uh, the guy said, "Oh no, no, that's okay." And I'm thinking, "Oh, good, you Phew, know, we're off get, the thank yeah. you." Yeah. Kieran goes, "Oh no, no, come on, I you've, insist. you know, you've, you've come all the way out here." Kieran gives him a hundred bucks cash for nothing. If you could have seen wow. my eyeballs, wow. angry eyes, I would not even walk them out back to their car. I have done this recently with Nicholas. Why did he give him money for doing yep. nothing? Don't reward someone who hasn't done their job properly. So by the time this episode goes to air, our wedding hopefully would have happened. But there was a... <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. We don't know. It's the times we're living in. Um, but everyone uh, says... oh final payment to be made seven days out, no matter yeah. who you're like, dealing with, any of your suppliers. I won't go into the specifics, but one particular person who we hired to do a service for us yes. insisted on being paid in full weeks out. I don't like that. And what I said to Nicholas, I said, why would we pay him now? He mm. hasn't done the job. Mm. He'll do the job on the day and we can either pay him on the day or a few, I don't know, I'm probably more comfortable with the day before or something. Anyway, so this person had to come to our house for a meeting. And I don't even know why we we're having a meeting. But they, And then he had sent Nicholas a message saying, don't forget the payment, winking face. And that got me as well. Yeah. And then Nicholas and I had this whole thing where we were like, we had decided on a story where we thought, oh, no, we thought you meant payment on the day, not today. Yeah. 
like halfway through the meeting, I saw Nicholas get up and I oh, knew where he was heading no. to go and get cash. And then he came back and paid the person. And then when they left, I looked at him and he goes, I know, I know. He goes, like, just, he was such a nice guy. He was such a nice guy. Yeah, they always are, yeah. the con men. Mm. And it's I was a con like, man. I said, well, I hope he turns up on the day. Yeah, what so we'll find out because I don't know my wedding will happen to by and, now. But you'll have to go and judge Judy. I hope it wasn't more than five dollars. That's her uh, five thousand dollars. That's her limit. Is it? Yeah, she won't. They won't. It wasn't more than five thousand dollars. Good, but it was ridiculous. In the Even moment. still, that is not right. And do you know what? I think tradesmen should be paid up front, and they're not. And Kieran's a tradesman, and it makes me so angry because he, a lot of people don't pay them. Yeah. but he's well, he's a plasterer. I shouldn't if say a he, lot, but they do have a history of not being paid. Well, sometimes, and plumbers will go back and rip toilets out and things like yeah, that just because they're angry. Yeah. yeah, but what can a plasterer do? He can't take plaster back off the wall. Nothing. It's no good. And, yeah. and then they go, oh, it's a bit more than I thought it was going to be. <sighs> Makes me so mad. Just pay your I just and- really ask up front. Like I say, yeah. how much? And they go, this, but yeah. there could be. And I go, cool, give me the maximum amount possible that this is going to cost me. Yeah. yeah. Well, hang on. Sorry, just to go back to the snake guy. So he called me on air and yeah. said, oh, I'll come and get your snake. And yeah. uh, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He I haven't named him, though. No. And I said, on air, Kirsten, you yes. get the tape. Oh, uh, I said, <laughs> look, thank you for offering, but it's just, I don't think it's worth the expense. What would it cost? He oh. said, I don't think he even said what it would nah. cost. But he said to me on air, oh, I'll do it for free. And, and I said, the no, no. I said, I can't, t- you know, I can't be on air asking for freebies. And, yes. And, yes. But it was like this implied thing that he was going to do it because he was going to get a mention on the radio. And he would have done if he'd caught it. Um, yeah, so he, he'd already said. But then when Kieran called him, he quoted him 180. I'm like, what? You just said he was going to do it for nothing. That's why I gave you his number. People and money. Outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Just one oh, thing. Sorry. Oh, just before. That was the snake. Get out of me. So the snake is still there, but I think the guy killed it because it hasn't come out from underneath the heater. Um, at the same time, you know the four chickens? Yep. Two mm. of them, roosters. Sorry? Two mm-hmm. of them were roosters. Peanut. And Big White had to go back. They were what? much bigger than the other two. Yes, it was traumatic. We are so upset. How did you not know that they were roosters? Or is that a thing that you just don't we find didn't, out later? We found out when they were about 20 weeks old because uh, started... peanuts started to crow. Oh. And so we, yep, yeah, and then um, Crowing the at what one, time? Quarter to seven every morning. <laughs> That's pretty late, I reckon, for a... Yeah. <laughs> and what did you think when you heard the first crow? There's something wrong with Peanut. She's not well. She's upset about something. And then we started to realise, uh-oh, somebody's transitioning down here. Not making light of it. Oh, Is that what happens? No, no, no. It was what happened was that during uh, COVID and lockdown, the farm that raises the chickens wasn't able to employ all the people that they usually do to do the sexing of the chickens before oh. they give them to people. Okay. And so they were sold to Kieran with the thing of, look, we're not sure if these are chickens or roosters okay you'll have to just bring them back with us not realizing how attached we were Aww. like kieran was why didn't you just keep them because they will crow and annoy the shit out of the neighbors and they will fertilize the eggs and we want eggs we don't want lots of little baby chickens running around why <laughs> why wouldn't you just have they're not kittens why wouldn't you just they're have chickens. baby they'll grow chickens. into because why, because you can't just can't have we're not a farm 
It's just a house. You have enough room. It's to, not this a farm. To be a farm. He takes them for a walk. He walks <laughs> them around the garden. But then, don't you wonder what is going to happen to them? Well, they'll just grow, do eggs, and then no, the ones you had to give back. Oh, I know what's happened to them. It was so upsetting for what Kieran. What happened to them? What he happened? was heartbroken. Well, he had to catch the two of them and, and transport them. It was a couple of hours to the farm. Well, they they can't keep them. They're oh no. Trigger warning. No, this is upsetting for people to hear. It's it, they had to be you know dispatched Put down. Well, we couldn't keep them, and and they didn't. I know. It's, this started it's as awful. a cute story, and then it became very oh, dead it's horrible. Dark. Oh, we've been through the ringer. It's been so upsetting. Kieran was in the and I were in the pool the other night, and he was just like I think he was going under the water to like hide oh, his tears. Oh, he was oh, broken, no. and he was just sort of all sitting on the step at the side, just saying, "Oh, it's been a, oh, it's been a stressful day." He was broken. He's a big, strong trader. He was broken by these two chickens. So anyway, they gave him to replacement chickens who are a little bit younger. And how, do we know what they are? They're definitely chickens. Okay. But they won't get on with – so Dot and Red are being mean to them. There's like a, a total mean girl They're scene. the intruders, yep. like on yeah. Big Brother. Yep. Yeah. And we've tried to make it all nice for them, but it's not Dot. Dot and, and Red are like ganging around. They're walking around like, we own this joint. This is our place. This is where we live. And the other two are hiding in the coop. Oh, no. It's just madness. It's and anyway, stressful. while that was all happening too, sorry, there were two other things. This is the last thing I promised because I want to hear about your dead body story. Yeah. Then a baby possum, Kieran found a baby possum on the ground. It was still alive and he put, took off his T-shirt. How manly is this? Took off his T-shirt, <laughs> picked it up in the T-shirt and he said it's little, it's little paw clung onto oh the T-shirt. Oh, my God. He, he put it in a box. It was tiny. It was yeah. fit in the palm of your hand. Put it in a box and I said, just leave it out at dark and it's mummy will come and get it no next morning dead and also at the same time because what is this house big tree over <laughs> this is all on the same day it was a very stressful day um, i'm glad you got in the pool though <laughs> after and just tried to relax <laughs> the big tree over there has yeah. got a beehive in it the one where my car is yep sorry oh good <laughs> oh good <laughs> <laughs> And the, every now and again, the bees swarmed. So the, beer, the bees that. were swarming. There was like a big swarm of bees. And then they formed like a they did this thing like a beard, like a bunch. I'll show you a video in a yeah, second. Yeah, they'll be in my tyre, no doubt, uh, yeah. right? <laughs> by the time I get out of here. I think they've gone back in, so that's okay. Anyway, that's it. Right, dead bodies. Let's go. Jesus Let's go. Christ. I know, it was mad. Okay, well, right. we're going to June 1987. Mm-hmm. For this story, and we're uh, we're headed to New Orleans. Oh, I love New Orleans. Yeah, it's there we meet a 27-year-old man called Andre Daigle. He worked as a house renovator. Uh, it was on June 9 that Andre and his friend Nick Shelley went out for dinner at Chi Chi's restaurant, and after that they decided they would play pool at Mitchell's Lounge. The two men played several games with the agreement that the loser would buy the next round. Andre lost the first game and headed to the bar to buy beers. While at the bar, he struck up a conversation with a lady called Thelma Horn. It was a brief conversation and he went back to playing pool with his friend. They played a few more games and eventually decided to leave the bar at about 11.30. But before they left, they went to the bar to get some travellers. Does everyone know what a traveller is? Yeah. Well, I used to think that was when... 
men get a hard on when they're driving. What? And I, it's Sorry? Not, <laughs> What? I don't know if it's a thing, but I was told it was. That is not a That's thing. That's not a traveller. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. For everyone listening, not a traveller. Oh, that's what I was told, and I, I believed it. Is it like a drink for the road? Yeah, a drink for the road, a bottled beer or a bottle. That's a stupid idea, is what it is. Yeah, a traveller. Mm. Is the traveller illegal here now? I, I feel don't like think it... you can have an open container of alcohol in your car. Yeah, mm. correct. So they went to get some travellers and uh, it was there that Andre introduced Nick to Thelma. Mm -hmm. The three of them spoke for a little while and they were trying to work out if they should go somewhere after playing pool and there was discussion and um, talk about going to a nightclub. Eventually Nick left in his car and Andre and Thelma got in his truck and drove off. Andre went missing from that point. Hmm. Who was he in the truck with? Thelma. Mm. Nick's gone home. Okay. Four days on from his disappearance, Andre's sister, uh, Elise McGinley, was advised by a friend that maybe... So the, the family are out and about. They're handing out flyers. They're trying to find him. They can't work out what's happened. Um, and a friend says maybe she should contact a psychic, which she did. She contacted a medium called Rosemary Kerr. She met... Uh, I don't actually know, and this this story was kind of hard to piece together. I was looking at a lot of different websites. I don't know if she met with Rosemary or they did something over the phone, but basically Rosemary said, I was moving across a picture of Andre looking for vibrations. She said that she could picture him in his car in his truck, sitting beside a man with long blonde hair. She said she saw water, a long bridge with railroad tracks, and she felt a terrible pain inside her head. And her voice, the voice inside her head was saying, my head is killing me. Rosemary then began moving her hand over a map and stopped when she felt the tingling stop in her body. Um, her finger had stopped near Sliddle in Louisiana, and her hand was over a swamp. Rosemary told Elise, get someone there quickly. Hmm. When police arrived in that area, they found Andre. He'd been repeatedly bashed in the head with a hammer, strangled with a coat hanger and an electrical cord, and his body was stuffed inside a sofa that had been dumped in the swamp. What the hell? Yeah. Like, that's just not just donk you on the head while we're driving. That's a full-on... Vicious. What happened? Mm, the medium said later that she, what she didn't tell Elise at the time of her reading was that she knew Andre was dead, but she couldn't tell Elise because she knew that Elise wasn't prepared. Mm. So when she said go there, she already knew that he was dead. She also helped work out where Andre's truck would be. And while Elise was handing out, because they've obviously found his body at this point, but they still don't know what's happened. How are the birds? Yeah. Cockies or something. We've got the door open of Dee Dee's Laundry where we do this. No, it's, it's nice. It's kind of like a bit of... Okay, a bit ambiance. of background. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so the medium is also trying to help work out where Andre's truck would be and while Elise is handing out flyers trying to work out how her brother was murdered, she saw the truck. So she's handing out flyers. She sees her brother's truck go past her. Oh, driving. Yeah. Dumped somewhere. Yeah. Okay. She flags down police who chase the truck and eventually stop it. Inside was Charles Gervais and Michael Phillips and they were both arrested. Any relation to Ricky? Well... No. Okay. 
I haven't done the timeline, but I don't think so. Now, do you remember Thelma from the bar? Yes. It turns out Thelma was the girlfriend of Michael Phillips, and she was at that bar for on purpose. The three of them had come up with a plan for Thelma to pick up a man at the bar and bring him back to their apartment so that the two men could rob and kill him purely for the thrill. What? Oh. At their trial, Rosemary Kerr, the psychic, gave evidence and she became the first ever psychic to be placed on the stand during a murder trial. That's really interesting. Isn't and I was it? interested before. I mean, she was accurate. Yeah. But usually, I think police may refer to them or mm. listen to what psychics have to say, but they can't use it as evidence. Evidence, but, yeah. yeah. So they used her in the case. Yeah, wow. she was the first ever psychic to take the stand. Mm. Michael... Charles and Thelma were all sentenced to life in prison. Um, they eventually ended up pleading up yeah. during the trial and saying that they did do it um, purely because they wanted to kill someone. But when I was looking for stories, I was thinking we haven't really done much on psychics and, and what they do yeah. during murder trials, but they are quite helpful. Do they, yeah, but do they get called to give evidence in court? Cause I've never seen cause that Because most here. people are going to roll their eyes, aren't they? Yeah, mm. no, I've never seen that here. Do you know, when I worked in Canberra, um, they had a... So I worked at a radio station in Canberra and there was a clairvoyant. So they did a segment like every fortnight, I think on like a Saturday night where they'd get this psychic in and she would like give people readings. And like we never saw her, but one day she came in to record a promo like during the week and so we all saw her and everyone just flocked to her and was like, oh, give us a reading, give us a reading. And um, she gave someone a reading, like a brief one, but she did mention... And this has stayed with me. She said that we were like, you know, do you give people bad news? What happens? Like, do you, if you can pick up on it, like, do you always just have to say something good or do you give them the bad news? Yeah. Real talk. And she's like, look, um, you know, generally we don't. Um, But then she said that there was this one time where she was trying to get a reading off this guy um, who was quite young. And anyway, she's trying, she's trying and he'd paid her and she just wasn't getting any vibrations, anything. And so she kind of said, look, I'm sorry, this happens sometimes, but I'm not getting anything. So I'm going to give you your money back and I'm, I'm sorry, it just, yeah. it's not happening. I'd rather that than take your money and make something up. So he's like, sure. yep, great. And he left. And then apparently like three days later, he was killed in a car accident. <gasps> and she said that the reason why she didn't get his future was he because he didn't have one. Oh, right? my goodness. But since hearing that story so now okay that stayed with me for like three years but now I look at it like look back with skepticism and I'm like is that just a did that happen or is that just a story you tell people like me like an urban legend right and then I'm like oh my god like you're amazing you're the best no that's pretty crafty kind of thing to make up yeah I see a psychic have we spoken about this yeah 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 yeah. Mm. some actually I think someone wanted to know the name of your psychic I think they direct messaged me and I gave it to okay. them. Okay. But um, she predicted the whole COVID thing. What? Oh, what? Have I not told you this? No. Problem? Okay, let me check my diary to see when I went and saw her because I want to be exact with dates. It was the 25th of January, Whoa. 2020. So it was in kind my, of just, out. It's in my diary. Yeah. It's proof that it's in my diary. And what did she say? So it was kind of out, but it wasn't like, we weren't shutting things down, I don't no, think, no. at that point. And so basically, I was meant to go to Tokyo for the Olympic Games for work. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were just talking in general, and she does a bit of like, oh, you know, I said, oh, 
she goes, oh, you, I think you're going to travel here and there. She was, that's, that's what she's done in the past. Anyway, so then uh, she said, oh, it's, it's really weird. She goes, I see travel, but she's like, but then I can see everything shutting. Ooh. And she goes, I don't know what that means, but like everything's shutting, like doors are shutting, shutters are going down, everything's shutting. She's like, amazing. Wow. Yeah. She goes, but it's, she goes, I, I don't think you, you're going to go to Tokyo, but it's not your fault. She goes, and I don't know what that means, but all I can tell you is that everything is shutting and it's all over the world. And she goes, I haven't had this. She hadn't had that until my reading. And I said, oh, and I couldn't make sense of it in my head. And anyway, we kind of moved on from it. We were talking about other stuff. And then she came back to it and she was like, yeah, that's just, it's very strange. And I don't know why that's happening, but... Yeah, maybe I don't know what if it's what it's got to do with something, but something's happening in the world, and everything is going to shut. Incredible. Yeah, and I was like, okay. And even when she had finished my reading and we walked out, she mentioned it again. She was like, it's really strange what happened. Because she wouldn't have known how to interpret that. I'm sure she gets her. I I love watching um, that Hollywood medium, Tyler Henry. So do I. Isn't he adorable with his scribble and his sweaty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it so sweet. Yeah. And can you imagine what it's like if? Some, if a psychic goes to somewhere like um, the 9-11, the World Trade Center. Oh, where there's so many people just popping in and the, into your brain. That would be like just total noise. Or, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, I must get her name from you. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. All right. I have a story from 1941 in Illinois in America. Ben, uh, Richard Benjamin Speck. That's when he was born, 1941. He was one of eight children. He was the second youngest. He was very close to his father and his father died of a heart attack when Richard was only six years old. So his mother then went on to marry another man called Carl Lindbergh, who was a very nasty drunk and he had a long criminal record and he abused her children. So the family moved to Dallas. Richard Speck started drinking at the age of only 12 and he was hopeless at school. He failed nearly every subject. It's all right. You can turn I'm that I'm eating back. muffin, but... Yeah, that's okay. 12 is so Perfect. young to drink. I know. Yep. Um, if someone starts drinking at that age, when you're at school, you think they're cool, don't you? But now that we're yep. older and we look at it, we go, oh, You do. Yeah. You think it's cool. Uh, so he dropped out of school when he was 16. I, I know what you did just then. So Chanel's got her microphone off so she can eat some muffin, but she popped it back on to make a special comment and then now back Turned into the back muffin. Off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm professional. That's right. Yeah. Going back to eating muffin okay. now. Going off again now. Uh, he dropped out of school when he was only 16 and he took up with a really bad bunch of older boys. So he was arrested a lot of times for misdemeanors. He eventually got a job as a laborer for the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas. And in 1962, he married Shirley Malone and they had a daughter, a little girl called Bobby Lynn. But it wasn't a loving marriage. Richard Speck told Shirley that he needed sex four or five times a day and he would rape her at knife point. Sorry? Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? I mean, daily's a lot. Weekly's a lot. Raping's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, true. He was also in and out of jail for forgery, robbery and burglary. So he was paroled in January 1965, but then he attacked a woman with a carving knife in the parking lot of her apartment building. So she screamed and he ran off, but the police caught him a few minutes later. He was thrown back into jail this time for 16 months. But someone made a mistake 
an error, clerical error or something, and he was released after only six months. So Shirley, by this stage, had had enough. She divorced him after four years of marriage. I'm just going to Google a picture of him because I feel like I know this. Richard Speck. And around the same time, his mother separated from Carl Lindbergh, the horrible um, stepfather. Speck got a job with the Patterson Meat Company and had six accidents with his truck and he was eventually fired for not turning up to work. Don't you dare read the story. I'm not, but I I feel like I know this story. Okay, it ends continue. up in an apartment building with a bunch of women. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so Richard then moves in with a 29-year-old divorced woman who had three children. She was a former professional wrestler and she worked as a bartender at his favourite bar. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his favourite bar, Ginny's Lounge. He got into a fight with a man there and stabbed the man. Oh. And his mother, so I think he was still, I think he was a bit of a mummy's boy and she probably looked after him, especially because the second husband had been so horrible. So his mother got a lawyer who got the charge reduced from aggravated assault to disturbing the peace. So he was only fined $10, which he didn't pay. So he ended up doing three days in jail. Then he robbed a grocery store of 70 cartons of cigarettes, which he started selling out of the boot of his car. Okay. Police, Police issued a warrant for his arrest for burglary. His sister Carolyn drove him to the Dallas bus depot and he skipped town by taking a bus to Chicago. Okay. Uh, he stayed there with another sister, Martha, before he went back to Monmouth in Illinois. That was where he'd grown up. And he started working there as a builder's labourer with his brother Howard. But when he found out that Shirley, his ex-wife, had remarried only two days after their divorce had come through, he went on a drinking binge and eventually he was arrested again for threatening a man in a tavern restroom with a knife. April 13, you're getting the picture, he's just a bad character. April 13, 1965, 65-year-old woman, Mrs. Virgil Harris, back from those days when women didn't have a first name, they were just called after their husband's husband's first name. My toes are getting cold. Um... She'd been out babysitting and she came home at 1am and Richard Speck was in her house. So she described him as very polite and said that he spoke very softly with a southern drawl. He blindfolded her, he tied her up, raped her at knife point, Mm. ransacked her house and stole the $2.50 she had earned with her babysitting job that night. The southern drawl reminds me, Kirsten? Yes, do we need to address the whole topic of um, accents? Accents. Yes, we do. I've got some audio that I might. Yeah. Do you want to do it at the out. end? Yes. What? Remind me because. Okay. Dee has started slipping into accents on air on the show, yep. and it's not supposed to. It's killing me. <laughs> Kirsten like rides me like a horse over it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yep. We'll come back to it. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I forget I'm not on the pod. Yeah, I think just you just something. get behind a microphone and you just assume it's Dead Bodies <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and away I go. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, okay, so he's raped this 65-year-old woman. A week later, yes. 32-year-old Mary Catherine Pierce had been working as a barmaid at a tavern called Frank's Place. She left work just after midnight and disappeared. Four days later, her body was found in an empty hog house behind the tavern. Oh. Isn't that awful? She died from a blow to her abdomen that ruptured her liver. And Speck had been a regular at the bar that she worked at. Mm-hmm. And he had also helped build the hog house where she was found. So he was questioned over the death. But he got sick during the interview. So they let him go. He said he'd come back, but he didn't. I'll come back. 
So when they came looking for him, he'd left town altogether. They searched his room and they found a radio and jewellery that belonged to Vir- Mrs. Mrs. Virgil Harris, the lady a moment ago that he raped, the babysitter. Yes. So Speck turned up at his sister's place in Chicago and he got a job as an apprentice seaman, which is a word I hate because it sounds like seaman. Like, I know. Yep. Um, the job. Now, this is a little important detail. The national – so he's an apprentice seaman now. He's going to go to sea. Yep. He's not coming out of the end of a penis. Sure. Um, the National Maritime Union Hall, where he had to go to get the job, is at 2315 East 100th Street, yes. which is just a few doors away from three residential townhouses, including number 2319. And that one was used by the South Chicago Community Hospital as housing for its student nurses. So just... He had to go to one. A few doors down is the apartment building where the nurses lived. Got you. On his first voyage, he got appendicitis and was evacuated by helicopter for emergency surgery. When he was discharged, he went back to live at his sister's house. Uh, he eventually rejoined the ship, but he got into a drunken fight and he was sent ashore. So he went here and there, moving from place to place. He was staying in cheap hotels, sleeping in the park. He was drinking heavily visiting prostitutes. He tried again to get work on a ship, but he missed out. So he was getting pretty depressed and angry. And he said later that he suddenly got the urge to, his words, raise some hell. Oh, Jesus. And he also later said that he remembered nothing after that point. Okay. So on Wednesday, July the 13th, 1966, Richard Speck spent the day drinking with a 53-year-old woman named Ella May Hooper. But then he pulled a knife on her and he took her to his room at the shipyard inn and he raped her and stole her gun, which was a twenty-two caliber, caliber Rome pistol, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. He went back to the shipyard inn until 20 past 10 at night. Then he got himself dressed entirely in black. Okay. He armed himself with a switchblade and the handgun that he'd stolen. And he walked to that nurse's townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street. And at 11 p.m., he knocked on their door. Corazon um, uh, Amoreo. Corazon Amoreo. Do you think they called her Corey? Yeah. Yeah. They did with Cor- uh, Corey Aquino, the... She was Corazon, wasn't she? Corazon Amoreo. Yeah. She lived on the second floor of the apartment building. and She lived in that bedroom with a few of the other young nurses. She answered the door. Richard Speck, she didn't know at all. He was standing there, stinking of alcohol, with a knife in his hand and a gun in the other one. And he said to her that he wouldn't hurt her. He said, I'm only going to tie you up. Oh God. I need money to go to New Orleans. So he shoved his way in and he ordered Corazon and two other women, Valentina Pazon and Melita Gargulo. He ordered them into a bedroom at the back of the building. And already in that bedroom were three other women, Pamela Wilkening, Nina Schmale and Pat Matasek. They were all getting ready for bed at the time. Okay. So Speck took the sheets from the beds and he cut them into strips and he used them to tie up all the women's wrists and ankles. So there's six of them six in there women. now. Yeah. At 11.30, another nurse, Gloria Davy, came home from a date and he tied her up too. Another hour and a half later, Suzanne Farris and Marianne Jordan came to the door. Speck pulled them inside and he led them into that back bedroom at gunpoint. So one by one, Speck took each of the eight young women out of the bedroom and into another room and he killed them. 
By 3.30 a.m. he was exhausted. Only one of the women, Gloria Davy, had been raped, but they were all dead, except for Corazon Amoreo. So at one point, while Speck was out of the room, she had rolled, so she's all tied up, she had rolled under a bed oh. and hid there and as he didn't... one by one he's taking all her friends out. Right. And so he didn't realise that and, she yeah. was and missing. Because he's doing each of these murders and he's it's over the course of several hours. He's exhausted. So she managed to hide until he'd left. And be quiet too. Yeah. So she didn't know that she'd left. She waited long enough that... And she also didn't know what had happened to the other women in right. the other rooms. So she waited long enough that she thought it was okay. that he was gone. Yeah. Can you imagine no. the terror? I the can't. bravery and the terror yeah. of this woman are extraordinary. So it was... It was uh, he, he'd finished killing at around 3.30 in the morning. It was just before 6 a.m. So it was at least three hours or two and a half hours, three hours that she crawled out and she... The, uh, she didn't want to go back through the apartment and so she climbed out of the apartment window and she screamed, my friends are dead, I'm yeah. the only one alive, oh God, I'm the only one alive. So there was a student living across the street, a Judy Dicton, and she ran over, she found Cora shaking and crying on the window ledge. Judy went into the townhouse via the door which had been left open and she stepped into the living room she found the naked body of Gloria Davy face down on the couch her hands were tied behind her a strip of cloth wrapped around her throat her skin had turned cold and blue and she was obviously dead Judy ran to get the um, so each of these apartments because they were young nurses each of them had a house mother right just someone to sort of look after them she ran to get the house mother Mrs. Bassoni and she told her there's trouble in 19 so Mrs. Bassoni and some other student nurses went back to the house they checked Gloria that first one for any signs of life but there were none they then climbed the stairs and into the bathroom they found the body of Patricia Matusek in the other bedrooms they found the rest of the students so drenched in blood that they weren't able to recognise any of them except for Nina Schmail. Nina was laying on her back. She had a pillow over her face. Her hands were tied behind her. There was a cloth around her neck and her legs were spread apart and she'd been stabbed through the heart. I don't know why that offends me so deeply the, that he'd spread her legs, legs apart. Yeah. He, like, he hadn't raped her. It was just like a final humiliation. Yeah, that's the thing. It's so degrading. Mm. So Mrs. Bassoni called the South Chicago Community Hospital and she told them that all of the girls had been murdered. The hospital asked who had been killed and all she could say was send help, send help. Mm. So someone on the street flagged down a young police officer by the name of Daniel Kelly. He radioed for backup and by sheer chance he had dated the sister of Gloria Davy, the first body that they found. Okay. The first detective on the scene was Jack Wallender and on Gloria's body he noticed what appeared to be semen between her buttocks and the buttons from her blouse were on the stairs and there was a man's white t-shirt size 38 to 40. Um, He found another body, Pamela Wilkening, she'd been gagged and stabbed through the heart. Suzanne Farris had a white nurse's stocking twisted around her neck. There were 18 stab wounds to her chest and neck. Marianne Jordan had been stabbed three times in the chest and once in the neck. And Nina Schmal's nightgown had been pulled up to her breasts and her legs pulled apart. Mm. She'd also been tired and stabbed and it looked as though her neck might be broken. 
Valentina Pazon was found under a blue blanket. Her throat had been cut. The body of Melita Gagulo had been stabbed and strangled and she had been thrown on top of Valentina. Patricia Matusek's legs were sticking out of the bathroom. She was lying on her back with her hands bound behind her. She had been strangled with a piece of bed sheet and her nightgown had been dragged up over her breasts. Her underwear had been pulled down. There were towels soaked with blood all over the bathroom floor. Two days after the murders, a man named Claude Lunsford recognised Richard Speck from a sketch in the newspaper and he called the police, but they didn't respond to the call. The records did show that that call had been made, so I don't know why they didn't. Speck had gone to the Star Hotel and he tried to kill himself. Mm. The desk clerk called an ambulance and at the hospital a doctor recognised a distinctive tattoo that he'd read about in the papers that said, Born to Raise Hell. The police were called and Speck was arrested at the hospital. A panel of five psychiatrists and one general surgeon found Speck competent to stand trial. He saw a psychiatrist while he was awaiting trial and the psychiatrist diagnosed him with depression, anxiety, guilt and shame. He can diagnose that. Yes, but also a deep love for his family. Right. Uh, he said Speck has had an obsessive compulsive personality and a Madonna prostitute attitude towards women that Speck saw women as saintly until he felt betrayed by them for some reason and then he became hostile. Uh, he was also diagnosed with organic brain syndrome, which had been from injuries he'd suffered blow to the head early in life. How often do we hear that? Right. Um, so... Uh, the psychiatrist wasn't called to testify for the defence or the prosecution. Both sides objected to the fact that he was writing a book about Richard Speck to make a few bucks. So he was fired. He did go on to write the book. It came out in 1967. Mm. Uh, Richard Speck said he couldn't remember the murders. He did confess to another doctor, Dr. Leroy Smith, but the confession was made while Speck had been sedated, so it wasn't allowed in court. Oh, okay, right. But they didn't need any of that because they had a witness. Corazon Amureo, the nurse who had hidden under the bed, she attended the trial again. Imagine the bravery that took. When she was asked if she could identify the killer, she stood up. She walked right up to Speck, pointed her finger at him, nearly touching him, and she said, this is the man. So after 49 minutes of deliberation, they found Speck guilty and he was sentenced to die in the electric chair. Uh, On June the 28th, 1971, the US Supreme Court reversed his death sentence over a technicality to do with his jury selection. So they had more than 250 potential jurors who had been excluded from the jury because they were against capital punishment. So the case was sent back to the Illinois Supreme Court for resentencing. On is June 29th. Is he dead or alive? He's still alive, waiting. Oh. Well, he thought he was okay. going to be killed. Now he's just sitting there waiting to find out. Yep. 1972, US Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional. So on November the 21st, 1972, Speck was resentenced to <laughs> between 400 and 1200 years in prison. Oh my God. He's applied for parole multiple times. He's been denied and in jail, he's known as Birdman. He kept a, kept a pair of uh, sparrows in his cell. Uh, and I won't tell the story because it's horrible because he ended up killing them. But he kept mm. a stamp collection, collection. He listened to music. He was often caught with drugs or moonshine. He didn't care about punishment. He said, how am I going to get into trouble? I'm here for 1,200 years. He had hormones smuggled into jail and grew breasts. 
which made him very popular with the other inmates. And there is a film that's been made inside the jail in which he says, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they'd turn me loose. And he spoke to a journalist in 1978, a guy called Bob Green from the Chicago Tribune. And... um, in uh, and in a f- the film that was made about the Stateville Correctional Centre in 1988, Speck talked about the murders. Yeah. And he said he was high that night, but he said I could have done it sober. Oh. And I'll put actually Bob Green. Oh, if we're allowed to share news, sorry if you're in America, it might not, might not make sense. Oh to yeah. You. Uh, we're not allowed to share news stories on Facebook, Facebook here in anymore. Australia anymore. I'll try and share Bob Green's interview with him on our Facebook page if you want to join him further reading, and. Um, Richard Speck died of a heart attack, December 5, 1991, the night before his 50th birthday. Good riddance. Yes. Snap the laptop shut. shut. Natalie has sent through a story, and it's right up our alley. A musician going by the name of Prince Midnight figured out the best way to (laughs) honour his uncle. What? Hank. If you're going to be a rock and roll. I know, right? What are you going to be? Prince Midnight. It's really naff. Isn't it? It makes me think of Ozzy Osbourne. Do you remember when, because Sharon Osbourne was his (laughs) tour thing. Kirsten, you might be able to find this audio. Uh, She was his tour manager and she had got, as part of the, you know how they set the scene, lights and smoke machines and stuff. She had bubble machines and she, so she had these bubbles going up towards the stage. This is in rehearsals and Ozzy threw the biggest tantrum. And he said, what the hell, Bubbles? He said, I'm the prince of fucking darkness. Darkness. I don't want Bubbles. True. (laughs) Can't blame him. What would be your rock and roll name? Like Joan Jett. How how was anyone ever going to beat Joan Jett? That's so good. Yeah, I don't know. It's a different bird going now. It is. Mm, really is wildlife world here. Well, Prince Midnight figured out the best way to honour his uncle Flip's memory. He turned his uncle's skeleton into a guitar, which he actually plays. Isn't that sweet? Prince's uncle Philip had always encouraged him to pursue his passion for heavy metal, and his uncle was Greek, meaning that he was Orthodox, so cremation was not an option after his death. Initially, Uncle Flip's skeleton was donated to a local college where students used it for years, but after the college no longer needed it, they returned the bones to the family. So, Prince created a fully functioning musical instrument from his bones. He used his uncle's skeleton as a bass... He then attached a guitar neck, pickups, volume knobs, a jack, strings, and electronics. Prince Midnight said, I did a lot of research and no one has ever made a guitar out of a skeleton, so I did it. I started out consulting with two guys in Dean's Guitars Woodshop in Tampa, but they got cold feet. Anyways, now Uncle Flip can shred for all eternity. <laughs> That's how he would want it. I'm super proud of the project and it serves to honor him, his life, and his influence on me. No one else had done it, so I did it. No one else a, I don't d- think it's a valid reason. That's what I mean. If no one else has done it, then maybe you shouldn't do it. I feel it's like his uncle would have liked it, though. great to be first. Yeah. Rock and roll and death and stuff go hand in hand, don't they? They do. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. All right. Uh, any closing arguments, Your Worship? No. All done okay. or silent, I reckon. Get vaccinated. Don't march in mm. the streets and say things like, oh, vaccine has got... Wait, weren't we going to do it's something about accents? It's got dog food in it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Well, Dee Dee, she's out of control. She's out of okay. control. She's basically 
Her professional radio show has gone to the dogs because she <laughs> is Kirsten, slipping. Thank you. In... We'll let the ratings decide that. That's, that's not you're rating very well. You're doing well, but my God, uh, you are slipping into accents left, right, and centre like any excuse for an accent. It's the podcast I think is seeping just... into the professional yes. well, radio show. It's a constant thing to. Um, just, you know, keep variety in the show, keep it lively, variety. keep it interesting. <laughs> you, you will hear more accents, I think, if you just tune in between the hours of 12 and 3 for Dee Dee. it's not supposed to be done. I might be making serious information, breaking news on coronavirus, Victoria's going back down into lockdown. Like it's, a pretty, it's a pretty conservative station. But you Is are... that what you're doing? Do you're saying how to cut well, <laughs> No, I can't even remember what Kirsten's talking about, but I just know when it happened, the look on her face. I looked through because Kirsten's like standing, you know, in the control glass. room, glaring at me all the time, mm. telling me what to do, how to do it better. Uh, That's the her job, look by on the way. Her face, she was not happy with me at all. Oh, my God. I just and, went, I went to the logger and I just like lifted some audio from like just random parts. And these are just like minor oh examples, but I could yes. get more. I could easily yeah. get no, more. No, there's no need, Kirsten. There people. is. People I want to hear care. it. Press play. People yeah, don't stop talking. Let's, so this is the first example. She's on with a guest. Your favourite movies, which one would you insist on having if you were locked in a lighthouse to watch them all? In terms of drama, I love Brooklyn, about a girl who goes from Ireland to America in the 30s. Yes. Oh, dear. And there's something with the Irish. They had this pull where they always want to go back to the home country. And when they leave Ireland, their hearts belong there. And I think it happens more with Ireland than any other country, from what I can see. Um, Matt, what's yours? There you go, folks. That wasn't a bad Irish accent either, do they? Married to an Irishman, Matt. Thank you. Oh, well, that'll explain it. <laughs> I love that I didn't know where that was going because it could have gone anywhere because she said Boston and then she said American and then she said Irish and I didn't know which one you were going to do. Yeah, feeling a little defensive, right? Because where is the issue with that? There's oh, no problem. No, that's person. fine. It, that's fine. But there's there's more. There is more. Oh, mm. bloody hell. I hate hearing myself. I absolutely had. I literally I want to go under the table well. right now. Go on then. Oh, so get I don't it. know Just which one to play that. next because there's evidence of you. How like, many looking, are there? Well, there's only two more, but there's one where oh. you you blatantly look me in the eyes in this audio and you know that I'm cross. <laughs> 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 and you just do it anyway. I'll just get the other one where you actually, you, you go further and you prompt people to call in with <gasps> their accents. <laughs> you know what we should do? Yeah. I'll tell you the survey results. Yeah. Is, is Okay, ring us, 96900693. Do an accent at us. Yeah. If you're any good at doing an accent, and Grub and I will try and pick whether it is your actual accent or whether you're bunging it on. Oh, See if good. you can fool us. That's good. Nine six nine hundred six nine three. Dee Dee. What? <laughs> what? Hold on a second. What? Your bro. <laughs> what? I'm not looking up. I can't look up. She, she can't look up at all. She's been like cringing the whole time. <laughs> your program. Yes. So much planning goes into your program, yep. and then <laughs> on live radio. Yep. You have just opened the floodgates yeah. to a whole new segment yep. and cursed. <laughs> My face is hurting from laughing. You would have cursed would have died. I was and doing giant do. like making a cross with my arms, like no, <laughs> no, Stop, no. Do anything because I've got the microphone Did live. <laughs> <laughs> Her face. Oh, come on. Look, it's a bit of fun. Wait, wait, wait. And did people call? Yes. yes. They did. The people were with me. It was the best. I was the Pied Piper of accents. And were they good it. accents? I've got examples yeah. of it. Hi, Michaela. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Oh, hang on. 
Uh, tell us what the weather's like today, Michaela. The weather, I can't actually see through the uh, windows of the factory. It's real. Okay. Yeah, I think it's real. I think it's yeah, real. It Manchester? No, I'm an Essex girl. Essex, okay. Essex girl. Yeah, yeah good. What, okay. Okay, Michaela, for people who don't, what are Essex girls known for? <laughs> uh, dancing around a handbag in the disco wearing white stilettos and black tights. Yes, with big eyelashes. Bless you. Thanks, Michaela. Good on you. Anthony, what's yours? Yes, hello, Grubby. Hello, Diddy. Absolutely marvellous <gasps> to be speaking to you here today. South African. South African. But no, Anthony, it's a fake. Yeah, got it in one, guys. It's pretty good, though. <laughs> it's not bad. I didn't mind that. Thank you, I just Anthony. saw the Tony Gregg straight away. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're walking a very fine line oh, here, Grubby. You know we are. <laughs> this is 2021. I'm a little bit scared. I am too. <laughs> but then, but this is my point. Yeah. You know, because you don't... But we all laugh at that, but what if we had another one in, come in that... But why then? Why yeah, I, are I some more offensive than others? I don't know, because... You're very good on accents. You used to do a wonderful Pam Ayres I when I first done met you. Pam for a long time. But I heard time. you doing an Irish accent on air the other day. Well, you know where I get that from. Yeah, well, so of course, you're married to one. one. And, but yeah. that's very good. But you also used to do some years ago. Don't, uh, do it. Don't even say it. The wife of, of, a, of a mining magnate. That's right. No, you can say her name, Rose Hancock. That's I used right. to do her. But, to do see, her. Yeah, but that's the thing. If I do it now, I'll trouble? be in all sorts of trouble. Will she? I think so. Some are shaking their heads behind the booth. <laughs> oh, no, Kirsten's terrified. I'm going to crack into it any minute. I yeah, need to know how many people called in versus how many calls you put through. <laughs> like, was it a bonanza? For what? <laughs> My God, like the phones were melting. <laughs> like, honestly, we'd clear a line and someone else was ringing. There's only what? nine lines that people can call in on. And every time one of them was hung up on or we could put one to wear and they were done, another one would ring up. And were there, were you like yelling? Because you obviously don't answer the phones mm-hmm. or do you? No, no, I didn't answer yeah, the phone. Yeah, I didn't think so. so. And so were you like trying to work out what accents they are before you put them Yeah, through? I'm like, are these people any good? What are they doing? Like, what's See, happening? that in itself, because I'm not saying you're racist, but the fact that some are judged to be <laughs> some are. racist and some are. Yeah, but why is that? Why couldn't I do it? I don't know, Chinese but I can, I can just imagine why. Don't do it now, but I can just imagine, don't do it, that Kirsten would have been having a oh. heart attack. Uh, yeah, she was. Um <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should credit my dear longtime friend uh, Peter Grubby Stubbs, who joined me for that segment and was probably part of the reason that I was being naughty than I usually would, Kirsten. Mm. And you know that that's why it happened. I wouldn't do that to you ever. Bad influence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I well, there you are, dead bodies, accents. This is where you get it all, and we'd love to hear from you if you've seen a dead body. Tell us about it. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.